36, uh, May the 2nd, 2010. And uh, this week, uh, as long as myself, Croc Cayman, and Tom Howard are regular hosts, uh, we are joined by uh, Tess Flynn. Hello. Who has uh, been on the show numerous times before. Uh, thank you for joining us again, Tess. It's not a problem. Okay. Uh, apologies, everyone, for audio echo if you are getting it. Um, ever since Tom has switched to Linux, we've had this echo problem and have not been able to track it down. Track it down. See, I'm also on Linux right now, and I'm not sure if I'm causing that problem no, either. Not at all. Hmm. It's just kind of the weird thing, right? Mm-hmm. I have no idea what it is. Oh, well, who Maybe. cares? <laughs> well, I wonder if it's Pulse, the Pulse Audio implementation from the Debian fork, but I could be wrong. <laughs> what uh, um, distro are you on, Tess? Uh, Arch. I'm actually a version behind on Arch because I'm, I've had such a hellish month that I haven't had the guts to actually try to, to run Pac-Man SY on my system. <laughs> <laughs> Not facing up to the break. It really be problematic. (laughs) Okay, and um, this week we're hopefully wanting to discuss uh, not mobile computing itself, actually the opposite of mobile computing. We've done a show specializing in mobile computing before, and I wanted to focus on uh, basically desktop computing in lieu of all this mobile computing hype uh, that is going around at the moment, that manufacturers um, are very uh, quick to embrace, you know, all the one wonders that mobile computing presents, etc. But the reality is, is that the, the world is still, you know, working on the backbone of desktop computing, and it forms the the, the, the absolute mainstay of, of computing at this period. In the consumer space. Well, what do you mean outside of the consumer space, that they wouldn't be using desktop computing as the primary form of computing? Well, I'm being a little bit pedantic here because when you see primary form of computing, I'm thinking about the amount of transactions might occur in the average data center. And I'm thinking, yeah, there's probably a lot more in racks of servers and mainframes than ever go through desktops. But I'm being pedantic, I admit it. Yes, please don't yell at me. It's still desktop architecture. It's not, uh, they're not going through iPads and things like that, are they? It's. <laughs> no. no. Can you imagine I, I, iPad as a server? <laughs> imagine a Beowulf cluster of iPads. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in Houston last week, and I think I might have seen an iPad because there was a bunch of people from Europe and Germany and all over the place, and they were all buying iPads while they were in the U.S. because they can't get them yet over there. Actually, they make a pretty bad cluster considering that they can't talk to each other and they're completely closed devices. (laughs) I'll break them open. Uh, Right, whereabouts should we start with this? Um... Um, I'm not even sure. It's your idea. I'm giving you full authority to okay, start somewhere. Okay. Uh, think, 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 think. Stall. <laughs> <laughs> Unicorn! <laughs> I can edit this. Uh, I'm trying not uh, to remember the... I'm trying not to remember the the Grandpa Simpson line about having an onion on his belt, which was the style at the time. (laughs) There's a story to this coin, and then he goes on about onions on belts. (laughs) 
oh, sorry, this week's been so so crazy news-wise. It's, off, it's driven me off topic. If we had a tech cloud for this week, there'd be like only one H two six four, and it would be the fill, it would fill like the entire cloud. <laughs> no, if we had a tag cloud, it would be H two six four H dot two six four, and then all a million different spellings of the same thing over and over again. Yeah, <laughs> which is the problem yeah. with tagging. Because I used the one, yeah, yeah, because I used the one with the with the with the capital H with the uppercase H and no uh, 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 a period in between. But other people used the uh, oh dot whatever, and the other people used like lowercase or you know lowercase without the dot whatever. It's <laughs> all sorts of combinations are possible. A few misspellings, obviously. I mean, it's a it's a pretty clear. <laughs> so yeah, we've had the, a week that is. Yeah, I suppose yeah. the first question well, that comes the, to mind is uh, w- with the whole tab- uh, tablet computing, mobile computing versus traditional desktop computing question is, what, uh, it goes back down to what can't you do on a tablet system that you can do yeah, far more effectively on a desktop? Well, there's a lot of things well, that I, are... I would... Go ahead, Tom. Yeah, I would turn that question around. What can you do on a tablet that you cannot do on either a desktop or a laptop? Which kind of I, I kind of mean with desktop the same thing as a laptop, like a traditional computer. I would, I would like to turn the question around because I still haven't gotten an answer to that one. Everybody's raving about the iPad, but I still don't know what it does that I cannot do on any other device, but or any tablet. But it doesn't matter. Just not, I'm taking the iPad as a reference here because it's so successful. But um, um, I know. I, still, I, think I know. Ma- maybe that thing. question is is a question we should yeah. I know one thing that I've always tended to prefer mobile devices for over any desktop client I've tried is really any any real-time social networking uh, sites such as Twitter. I've just never liked Twitter apps that I get on the desktop. I, I love them on mobile devices, though. I don't know what it is. If it's the UI, if it's the 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 use pattern that just tends to work more for a Twitter-type interaction, but I've never really liked Twitter clients on desktops. It just, I don't know what it is. It just it doesn't seem to work for me. Maybe because, like, the, when you're sitting behind a desktop or a laptop that you're maybe, like, uh, at work or working on something uh, serious, and Twitter doesn't really fit in there. Maybe that's the... Uh, and you're like, sitting on the couch or whatever with your phone. I'm or, in front of computers 18 hours a day. <laughs> Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to... <laughs> well, perhaps the answer to your question, Tom, is that is actually that it's, it's down, it boils down to device specialization. I mean, somebody's written a Twitter client for an Apple II, and I was going to say that, well, you could do anything <laughs> on a Vax that you could do now. It just would be, you know, different and slow. Um, so it's not that the tablet cannot... Um, uh, do anything that the desktop can't because by nature computer systems because the Turing machines can do anything that any other computer can do just less practical um, mm. and so I don't think that it, it, okay, it would so definitely be me, hard to find rephrase, an example me, so let me rephrase that question then what can a tablet do better than a traditional desktop slash laptop um, and to that question I don't have an answer either because whatever you're going to say it's going to be more cumbersome than just Using a mouse or whatever, uh, I just don't really get it because it. Uh, I mean, I, I, like, I, can, I can think of one thing that they're they're actually party uh, particularly good at, at least with my use pattern, um, which is the modern equivalent of reading the newspaper in the morning, checking my my RSS feeds. I I tend sure, to like yeah, having a, a mobile device versus a desktop for that because I can I can page through it a lot more friendly. Um, 
also the um, simple fact of the, if you want to like lay on the floor because I'm in a yeah. tiny little apartment because I am poor, and uh, <laughs> it, it's hard it's hard on the neck and the back to actually lay on the floor and use like a laptop, whereas a tablet, oh, yeah, a mobile device, yeah. you can just lay it flat on the floor and it doesn't cause as many ergonomic problems. But that that's that's very particular to how I interact with devices. I have to interrupt everybody for a second because I just got to say, if there are any Dutch listeners in here, FC20 just became champion. Woo! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just had to say that. Go on. Then it's going to be a really bit late by the time they get this here. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> oh, the fans are crying. Oh, okay. Anyway. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Those were saving the match for later and thought, I don't know, I'll just go listen to the OS News podcast or I've been completely away from football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should probably publish publish this one tomorrow on Monday. <laughs> Not tonight. This Sorry. The, the, anyway, the, continue. That's right. The the paradigm problem of that um, there are things that uh, that are going to be inherently. Um, less difficult to do on a tablet that's user interface wise but then things that you just can't don't seem that are going to be harder to do on a sort of tablet and mobile device and I think the biggest sort of bottleneck really is, is programming is is trying mm. to do any sense of kind of well, just content creation in general on a mobile device yeah, that's, what it, that's kind of the point because people say oh, well, we're reading the web but how many people just read the web these days isn't the web all about participation? Even if you find an article where, you, where, where there's no comment section, what, what a lot of people will do is put it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. So you, you're going to need at some point like typing and whatever. And why would you, you know, limit yourself with something like an on-screen keyboard? Because people can say that typing on the iPad is easy, but I don't believe them. I just literally, I don't believe them. I mean, it can never be as easy as just having a, you know, a proper uh, keyboard around. And when you, you know, want to plug in a keyboard, why not just use a laptop right away? Isn't that, like, easier? Or am I just really old-fashioned or something? I just, I just don't get I, it. I, mean, I, 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 think I'm, I think that one thing that's important to keep in mind is that, uh, your, uh, the, the kind of interaction that you would tep- uh, typically do versus a vast majority of a lot of other people. I mean, you're a journalist, and I'm a content creator myself, and we spend a lot more time making stuff, but there's a lot of people that a quick interaction with an on-screen keyboard is perfectly suitable because they don't need to spend a lot of time writing out long things when the average comment or blog post is not going to be more than a thousand words. The average YouTube comment is going to not be more than a sentence. And will majorly consist of four-letter yeah. words. At least in English. That description. Yeah, well, one other thing, I, I think that probably the, the biggest um, letdown of the, the, the iPad, the biggest f- failing of it, and um, I've kept my discussion of the iPad to an absolute bare minimum considering I have not yet had my hands on one and want to reserve any kind of review until such a time because I don't even know what the price is going to be in the UK. They haven't even so much as revealed that yet. And my my biggest concern of it is not what hard features it's missing. I haven't got a clue clue about it. I don't care what software features it's missing. It's all things that can be solved or if they're not solved, doesn't matter because what features it does have will... Um, suit the particular people who need said features. They can only increase their market by adding features, right? The biggest problem is that the device cannot operate on its own. It cannot be your only computer. It seems to be a massive failing, I think, on the on, on the on the part of the the 
this computer that's supposed to be designed for average people to finally get ahead and be successful with computing by having something that's easy and that they can touch and they don't have to read the manual beforehand and at the same time you have to plug it into a computer and go through iTunes to get it registered and started and this, this seems like a, a, a terrible limitation. But that's particular to yeah. Apple products. There are other tablets that are being developed and will be uh, arriving on the market, especially in India lately, where you see a lot of uh, Android tablet action going on lately that don't require it to be tethered to any kind of local computing source. Oh, I think that that's going to make a huge difference that you'll be able to get something like this and for some people it be their primary source of computing and not have to be tied down to a, a desktop either because for a majority uh, they use the internet for their particular services they want their Facebook, their uh, eBay and their Amazon and, and so forth and if the interactions are simple enough then a tablet device should be able to solve everything they do or at least a large enough portion for their own personal use and anything else they could fill in say with work computers at work or their friend's computer or the library you know or something like that so I certainly think the market actually exists as long as the hardware and the software is is going to be good enough and that it's, and the availability is going to be good of these devices and so the, as far as the desktop computer is concerned it wouldn't threaten that really it's just down to particular users and their, their um uh, the their usage of you know the, the type of usage they have on the computer Mm, that that is a very good point. Um, actually, I thought about this while I was in the hotel this week because there were several days that uh, my laptop sat on a on the desk uh, asleep while I was using my phone to go through and read my feeds and browse uh, browse the internet and such. And I just didn't need to open my laptop because I didn't have anything more in mind for that evening. But as soon as I got to any large amount of typing or uh, content creation or anything more heavy than what I could do on the mobile device, I went right to the laptop. Well, I, I fixed computers. Sorry, Tom. Yeah, well, uh, it's kind of similar because my, my, my netbook's uh, charger was broken. So I hadn't oh. been able, and I didn't, uh, I hadn't tested it yet. So I, I didn't know it was the charger. I thought the laptop itself was broken because the charger was new, but it turns out that the charger was, uh, at least the connector is, uh, is broken. Yeah. So I I did I wasn't able to use my my netbook for like a couple of months now and uh, this weekend I fixed it or at least I got another charger that did work <laughs> so I'm gonna, I guess, so I borrowed it from someone so I can order a new one now and as soon as I got my netbook back I was so happy because I wouldn't have to use my iPhone anymore to do my browsing when I go to bed I usually browse a little bit before I go to sleep and when I wake up in the morning so and I'm really happy to have my netbook back because at least I can have a decent browsing experience because as fun as uh, the iPhone is and as good as the browsing experience is compared to um, um, other mobile phones I just I mean given the choice I mean it's easy I'm gonna have my, my laptop with me or my netbook in this case I'm not gonna use um, the iPhone when I have something else standing by so I just don't really understand that why you would choose to use your iPhone or on any other phone, whatever, if you've got a decent laptop around, in, in my case, a netbook. I just don't... I think, under, I think it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. 
I think in my case, it's a little bit specific because the social networks and the websites that I interacted with had, I have relatively good clients outside of the browser for that. And that does tend to make the experience a lot better than going to the actual website. In some cases, there's less clutter, it's more directed towards functionality, it's faster than what I would have to get from the whole onslaught that I would get from the actual full desktop experience. That's really interesting because uh, I think it's fun that we've so far been discussing um, the web- websites and not having mentioned operating systems at all um, in all of this. And that's, uh, as I was going to say, I fix computers for a living and I'm seeing what the average user is, is, is doing with their computer. And, and whilst skill sets vary, you, you, you get to sort of a professional curve where you get, you get people up to a certain level and then they know what they're doing and, and they will go and explore Windows and, 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 uh, and, and put it to use. But for the majority of people, it's just an in, a glorified internet box. They literally, most people's computers are, are beyond overpowered for what they need to, to use them for um, and it's just sort of a glorified internet box that is way over complicated because of, of Windows so the idea that they can have something that's just going to be browsing um, is excellent and it doesn't have to necessarily be a tablet because I think that if we could get around to finally get, uh, getting sort of 15 inch um, ARM laptops with keyboard, very thin, uh, no fans, uh, and, and just have a, like an operating system like Chrome OS on it, that would actually be just as good, if not better, than, uh, than sort of all this tablet hype. Hmm. Dead silence. Um, 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 well, I'm, I, I don't really like um, this whole. You, you see a lot of uh, gigs do that, and, and you're you're probably a little bit more entitled to say that because of your job. But I really dislike this idea of most users only do this and that. I just don't trust those kinds of statements. It's like saying most people only drive on this road or something. It's just, I just don't really buy it because there will be a moment where they'll, where, where they'll need to be able to do something that such a limited device like the iPad or any other tablet cannot do, right? And when at that point when a laptop is just as expensive, I mean, I just don't really get why you would want to go for a tablet, which will at some point give you headaches because there's something you can't, there's always something you can't do. Like right now, you can't use it for uh, Skype. You can't really use it. People say that you can use it for content creation, like uh, document stuff, but you can't. And a lot of people still do, um, 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 still, or at least still do, um, 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 have to create Word documents, maybe type a letter for, for the government or whatever, or for the job, or, you know, and you can't do that with, with just. The tablet, and and again, I just don't understand why. If you already have a laptop, why you would buy yet another device that sits somewhere in between, you know, a truly mobile device like a phone and your laptop? I, I just again, maybe I'm just old-fashioned. I mean, the, the iPad is selling really, really well, but I just, I mean, is it selling really, really well right now because it's new and it's ooh and shiny and ooh and ah? Or and but will people still be using it a couple of weeks down the line? Right, or a couple well, the of other, the other question just is, say, ah, let's get have- <laughs> Have we really gotten a, a, a good market breakdown of the kind of usage patterns that people are, the purchasers of the iPad are actually having? Without that data, we're all just kind of guessing. I, it's all geeks for the moment. Yeah. It'll take two years before we get yeah. mainstream data for this sort of thing. Because I've been I've been asking some of my non-geek and lesser geek friends about this sort of stuff all week, and a lot of them just 
don't don't get it. I mean, they can see the idea of having a, a more powerful smartphone to do casual browsing or site interaction or the occasional casual game, but they don't really see any of these devices just replacing their desktop. It just doesn't seem to work for them in that capacity. I just don't think that they're there yet. Computer, um, sorry, uh, regular consumers, your your your, your majority. Um, it's not that they're stupid that they don't do so much on their computer. It's down to interface. Um, they would use every bit of its power if it were simple enough to do so. Because for the majority of people, the computer is a tool that they want to put to use for their life. They want Skype not because they want Skype. They want Skype because they want to talk to their family in Australia or whatever like like that. It's it it has to fit into their life in some way, and that's where the the desktop has, has kind of failed them. Is that it's a it's a overpowered workstation that can just do absolutely everything under the sun, but doesn't do anything specific um, easily and, and, and doesn't present that to them in, in an obvious way, whereas I think the iPad does present to them what it can do, even though it can't do everything, what it can do, it presents it in an obvious way, and therefore they can put something like that to more of a use than what they can a desktop computer unless they put themselves out to actually learn um, you know, a lot about it. But is that a UI issue, or is that really a form factor issue? It seems to be, to me, more like a UI yeah, issue. Yeah, that's what I'm, exactly what I'm saying. That's why I think Windows yeah, is a failure here. No, it doesn't have to. Well, let's, let, to let's, be not, let's not just I mean, pick on Windows here. Windows. I'll, I'll, I'll more than quickly pick on all the major desktop uh, environments. Linux on this too. Yeah, we can call them. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I mean, Mac OS X, people scream how different it is, but it's, 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 it's exactly no, the yeah, same. It, as. It's just, know, yeah, it's just a basically... Silly. But... Yeah, but at the top of the screen, not on the window. <laughs> no, it's still a window. Yeah. We've got a desktop metaphor. That's the yeah, one. I mean, but, a desktop metaphor. But, you know, yeah, so a couple of months ago, um, uh, my parents asked me that they wanted... Um, I, have, uh, I have two media centers in my home, like one in the living room, one in the bedroom, where I store all my TV shows and a couple of movies that I downloaded, which is legal in this country, yay. Um, <laughs> uh, so... That, that way I can, can view you television series because usually the series that I watch uh, haven't arrived yet in the Netherlands and they're only in America and maybe the UK but it usually takes a couple of years for stuff to get here. So uh, my, my parents asked me, that they said, I want something, uh, we want that too. And I was like, well, okay, that's, that's good. You know, just uh, um, give me money and I'll, <laughs> and I'll build you a computer that can do that and give you the same software that I have, which is boxy. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would think, well, my parents aren't uh, especially um, computer savvy. They can use a computer, but it's not, you know, they're the kind of people that Croc would probably be helping on average, right? So um, they're not stupid, but they're not particularly computer savvy either. And you would think that, you know, if you listen to all the talk, a lot of things that geeks say, like how complicated computers are and how stupid people are, um, that they would never be able to use such a device. But, you know, I did something uh, extremely revolutionary when I uh, gave them that computer. You know, I just took a couple of hours um, out of my ex extremely busy schedule and I just, you know, did something really revolutionary. I told them how it worked. You know, I just said, <laughs> this, and you listen to this. And, you know, that, you know, I made sure that... Um, 
um, um, um, that machine that I built, that um, um, media center, is, uh, has a little icon on their desktop so that they can uh, um, move stuff there. So my parents, can, I, I taught them in a couple of hours, I taught them how to use BitTorrent to download movies and series. I taught them how to copy it from their respective own computers, my mom's laptop and my dad's iMac, how to copy that to uh, the media center and how to operate the media center in a couple of hours. You know, sometimes... People have this idea that a computer should be so easy to just sit down that everything works. But give me any really complicated device that can do that. None of them can. Even, even the iPhone takes a lot of learning and a lot of getting used to before people are able to use it. I mean, I've seen it with my mother. I've seen it with myself, actually. I had a lot of trouble in the beginning with the iPhone. My dad bought a new iPhone a couple of months ago. By now, it's also problematic in the beginning. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Uh, and sometimes you just have to help people along. I mean, when, when I was 18, when I turned 18 and I was allowed to drive a car, I didn't know right away how to drive it. I mean, learning to operate the car is easy, but actually driving takes a lot of practice. You need some lessons. And even when you um, um, pass the, the driving test, there's still months and years of learning that follow. You know, when you're actually out on the road and you go to Amsterdam for the first time, it's really busy and crowded and everything. It's all just a learning process, and somehow um, we accept that it takes learning to drive a car, that it takes uh, um, learning to get to a new job or whatever, or to learn a sport or whatever. But when it comes to a computer, somehow everything has to be so easy that you can know it, you know, like in, with the flick of the wrist. But it just, just, it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes you have to take people who are not, you know, really computer savvy. You just have to take them. You have to sit down, and you have to teach them how it works. And even if that's only a couple of hours, I mean, I did that, and I don't get any questions anymore from my parents about um how that media center worked, just because right, right off the bat, I took a couple of hours, uh, you know, maybe two, three hours, and taught them how everything works, and they know it. Sometimes, and it's a Windows machine, right? So it's Windows 7 with boxes, so it's not like it's some sort of magical device that I dumped down for them. It's a full, full-on normal computer, but just by setting things up properly and teaching them a couple of basics, they know exactly how it works. So, True, you know, but you had take to the set time. it up. I mean, could they have set that up <laughs> well, on their own? You've got those yeah. unnecessary hurdles, I would call them, in computing. Where it's yeah, it's great when you can get on and, and use it and put it to use totally. And yes, the, you know, they need to be. You know, you need to learn that sort of thing. But I've always found that trying to explain things to consumers and, to, and to trying to teach them, there's so many really unnecessarily, needlessly complicated, pointless bits of computing that just get in the way of actually teaching them something useful. Like trying to explain the differences between formats and why one company will not cooperate with another. And you can't get you know this thing to talk to another thing because of just you know uh, just the, the insanity of the computer market. Yeah, but that also depends on on uh, how you uh, on what kind of software you get you give people because you know when you learn to drive a car you don't learn how to drive a car in a Ferrari you learn to drive a car in, a, in preferably at least here in Europe at least in the Netherlands it's normal to to learn how to drive in a diesel powered car because there's much easier to operate and aren't as quirky and as, as you know as ex- explosive between uh, between quotation marks. As a, as a petrol car is, they have a slightly slower uh, acceleration curve usually, so it's it's easier to learn how to drive those things. So you, you give, when you learn how to drive, you take something easy. A diesel car, you know, preferably a saloon because it's, yeah, it's slightly. But if the computer work was car. like that, then we would have roads that could only take Sony cars and roads that could only take Apple cars, and and you know it would be infinitely more pointlessly complicated than uh, you know a simple something as simple as, as just petrol and diesel. That's the unfortunate of it. I would well, really I just, like it to be simpler to, to so people no could better use. Well, yeah, sorry, you know. No. I have no formal problems for the Media Center because on Windows there's this incredibly awesome package called uh, the Codec Pack, which you just install and you install the 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 the, the everything version and you get like 10 million codecs and you'll never encounter any format that you cannot play and it's all DirectShow and Media Foundation so it's 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 playable throughout the entire machine. 
So just of course, those are things that you need to know. But it's the same way when you go and buy a car. Someone who's never bought a car before cannot buy a car. Even if you've bought three cars, you're not a car person. You've already bought cars before. It's going to be really complicated to to buy one. There are so many things you have to take into account that you have no idea about. You know, like what is this? What is that? Why do I need that? Why do I do? Why do I not need that? And it's the same thing with a computer. I mean, sometimes things just take time to learn, and, so, and some things are complicated by definition. And just you know. Removing features or taking features away is not solving a problem in the same way that um, uh, virtual directory structures like you see uh, these days on Linux, you see it, you're starting to see it and you see it on Mac OS X, that does not solve the problem of the fact that files are complicated or that uh, the file system is complicated, right? It just hides it and hiding or removing is not solving problems, it's just hiding or moving, <laughs> basically. I do have to point out that there is one angle to this that we're kind of ignoring, and I know I'm going to get yelled at for this, which is <laughs> that there is a bit of a casual elitism amongst the in-no computing set that if you – the attitude that, well, if you can't figure it out, why should I spend my time on you? And I've always yeah, have found that attitude very, very destructive and a bit yeah. snobbish. And as a computer trainer, I've noticed many, many times that there's a lot of people out there who are just too nervous to even ask questions because they don't want to appear ignorant. And some of these people are guys who work in the computer industry with some very high-powered stuff. And they don't want to ask someone like me a question because they're afraid of looking like they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's a lot yeah. more common in the consumer set. And I don't think that a lot of people who tend to be really good with computers want to take the time to teach people these things because teaching people is hard and computers hard. tend to attract a not-so-social set of individuals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that would be a really good point. Guilty there. as charged as well. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, I don't want to sound arrogant or anything, but I, you know, I kind of like um, um, I like computers, but I also like teaching other people how stuff works. And I even teach a lot of people who have no interest in computers. I even teach them a lot of technical stuff about, you know, uh, I don't have any examples uh, right now, but I, I like that. I like to, you know, think about something complicated in computing and then make it easy for people to understand. I kind of like doing that. I mean, which is kind of weird when you think about it because I don't really like teachers in general. I, you know, I. Um, um, my share of uh, fights with teachers, but anyway, it's it's kind of I'm, I'm still kind of good at that. Maybe that's um, um, why I have no problems with teaching uh, some of my computer literate friends or my parents. You know how computers work, and and that maybe it's a special ability or something to be able to take something complicated like computing and make it understandable. I mean, maybe I'm slightly more unique in that sense than some of the readers we have, for instance, who might be more of the traditional geek type and. You know, with basements and, 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 and Warhammer figurines and that sort of stuff. But I'm not entirely sure. Well, teaching people is hard, too. It's, hard. Yeah. Oh, it, yes. it, it requires a lot of effort and a lot of trying <laughs> to look inside someone else's mental process to figure out how they in- understand things and trying to draw parallels so that they can internalize what you're trying to teach them. And it can be very difficult at times. And sometimes... It's very, very frustrating. And I'm not sure if a lot of people who are very good at uh, computers really spend enough time 
on knowing how to 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 make those bridge those gaps. Bridge those gaps. This is one of the things. It could also help that. Sorry. No, uh, it, it could also be that maybe, you know, I don't have geek friends. I have normal friends, if you, if you <laughs> allow me to use the word normal. And, uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't have any geek friends, like zero, like absolutely none. All my friends are uh, what you would call, again, quotation marks, regular people who use computers but don't really you know, have any special interest in them or whatever. So maybe that kind of helped me in being better able to appreciate how it is to not be a, you know, a complete computer with, and maybe that may, makes it easier for me to deal with other people who, you know, aren't particularly computer savvy because whenever I do meet someone uh, in the real world who is computer savvy, I generally don't really get along. <laughs> so maybe uh, that's kind of related to that, but makes it easier for me to teach other people to use computers. I don't know. Could definitely be, but you're right in that it's it's. There's a lot of arrogance um, among geeks that um, um, that people just don't seem uh, geeks don't seem to be able to understand that computers can be difficult, and that sometimes you need to, you know, uh, you know, take a few deep breaths, and uh, sometimes you need to be patient with people. But you know, and 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 it's the same way the other way around. I mean, when I learned how to drive, I mean, it wasn't like. Snap. I mean, I can drive really well now, but it also took me slightly longer than average to, to, to learn how to drive properly. So, you know, and my teacher also had to be, you know, patient and learn me how everything works. So sometimes you really do need to be patient. And I think a lot of geeks don't have patience. I, I'd like to say, I think that also geeks have to learn the, uh, and, and come to a six, accept that computers can be easy too. I, this is why the iPad. Um, and a lot of this computing stuff riles up geeks so much is because they can't accept that something can be easy and that it, it, it that you can develop a machine that isn't a general purpose thing for tinkering and that can be you know repurposed to do anything and that we are so hung up on what it cannot do we are failing to recognize what it is capable of well i think the bigger problem there is that there is no reason for such a device not to be able to do that i think that's i think the bigger problem with why we are so angry with devices like the iphone and the ipad is not because not because of the fact that it cannot do stuff but the fact that apple is actively trying to prevent us from doing it if apple were to uh, turn a blind eye to that and just um um, um would just allow it but just you know, like revoke a guarantee or revoke warranty or something which is perfectly acceptable in my book i don't think that at that point there would have been that much problems with that if uh, they said well hey if you use the app store you have full warranty and guarantee and everything but as soon as you move outside of the uh, outside of the app store you lose your warranty and it's over <laughs> i think if they did that that wouldn't have been such a backlash like there is now. why, why not, are we so hung up on that to, because if you think of everything else like you own that. in life like television your car everything every material product i own is neither open nor you know uh no no, no, no. You know, you're making a you know you're, you're making a you're making the same mistake here um your car might not be open, but Opel or Ford is not going to prevent you from working on your car. And I think that's the big difference. When I, you know, when I have a focus, if I want to change something on that car, even a new engine, I can do whatever I want. I can, I can fit it with the chips that control the fuel injection and everything. Ford isn't going to stop me, isn't going to sue me, isn't going to make it illegal for me to do so. And whatever. And Apple is actively trying to prevent that. And probably because Apple is successful, other companies will follow. So, you know, it's, I think it's the actively trying to prevent bit that really uh, riles people up. Not necessarily the fact that, uh, that the iPad isn't designed to do stuff, but that it's that Apple's trying to prevent you from doing said stuff. I think that's the bigger problem than actually not being able to do stuff, if that makes any sense. 
Right. To the average consumer, they don't see it as us. We, we, we've grown up knowing and, and being used to a, a, a device for us to tinker with, and it would be no different than those who grew up with cars when they were young and were used to you know being under the, the, the bonnet and everything. And, but for the consumer, it, these devices do not have to have these capabilities. They are a consumer. It's a consumable device for, for consuming content, and much the same as their television. They do not think that it is odd to be that they cannot run anything they want on their television's operating system or. Uh, also, such with with yeah. their cars, also they can stuff. install anything they want with their cars. So th- th- this idea of a, uh, a a non-general purpose computer, a specialized device, is is, is riling geeks up. And because we know it's got a processor in it, we know it's got software in it. We assume that therefore that means it must be open. Yeah. Well, no. It, again, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not that it must be open. It's just that we don't like it when. Um, companies prevent us from doing something without any good reason. I'm simply asking for name a parallel. Name anything else we have that that is given to us from a company in which they are not invested in protecting their interests, um, and say, "Here you go. Here's the, the circuit diagram that comes with it, and, and you know you can go tinker with this." Again, it's not that uh, it's not that we're that the hmm. geeks are angry that they cannot do it, <laughs> or that Apple doesn't help them doing it, but that Apple is actively trying to prevent us from doing it. It's the preventing bit, the actively preventing bit that is is well, is at least what makes me angry. Not the fact that it can't do anything. I mean, I, I don't care that my iPhone can't do uh, some stuff that you know other phones are able to do, but the fact that you know that uh, Apple is preventing me from doing it. Well, right. I, don't we have DRM in televisions with no- HDMI and DRM in our Blu-ray players and, and you know, DRM oh, yeah. up the Wahoo? Yeah, but that riles us up just as much, doesn't it? I mean, there's there's enough opposition against... There's just the same amount of opposition against DRM as there is against Apple's policies regarding the iPhone and the iPad. Mm. So it, it, con- I can't, it confirms my example, right? It confirms my little okay. theory. Moving on, Let, let's say... Uh, what, what does this... Present to the desktop. You know, there was an iOS news article about uh, Steve Jobs saying that no, the Apple App Store way of doing things would not come to uh, Mac OS X. Is there a future where we can see that uh, the App Store uh, way of doing things, this very locked down thing that we are complaining about so much with the iPhone and iPad, uh, is it ever going to come to a desktop operating system near us? I'm well, not, not sure if that's necessarily the question to ask. Um, I, I know that recently the Worldwide Developer Conference was announced for Apple, and they're not accepting any Mac applications. I think that the bigger question to ask here is, are we looking at a future where the desktop is going to be displaced by these much more locked-down devices, and we simply won't have the option anymore because the desktops will no longer be in demand and cost so much more money that will be priced out of the market? I don't think so because we've been hearing that the end of the desktop in whatever form for 20 years now. Well, that's true. I mean, Sun was really big on this whole, uh, you know, um, 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 on having thin clients and all that stuff, and it didn't happen. I mean, uh, oh, the demise of the petrol car, that sort of thing. I mean, it's not going to happen. I don't believe that the desktop is going to go, going to go away anytime soon, and especially not because uh, this whole internet thing. I don't use the word cloud, as some of you might know. Um, this whole internet thing just isn't mature enough. I mean, uh, here in, 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 in the Netherlands, we have really fast internet, but you know there are a lot of places, even in the U.S., that don't have 
piano to support uh, you know the uh, many of those modern devices that rely on, on instant on, or uh, always on internet connection and even here in Europe a lot of locations don't have it so it's going to take at least 20 years for internet to be fast and pervasive around the world before we can even think about moving away from more stationary objects like you know like desktops and laptops and things like that well probably so, longer at the US and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but more of in a, in a more in a general way but no, I mean, the desktop isn't going away anytime soon. Forget it. It's go- And with desktop, I also mean like the traditional laptop. It's not going away anytime soon, I but, don't believe. But that, that focuses on the demand question. And as we can tell with, uh, I hate to say that, that Apple might not necessarily be as concerned with demand as some other companies might be. What if we are simply not given the choice any longer because no one's producing it? Producing <laughs> it. That's the scary future for me. Yeah, that's really scary. Yeah, I have to agree. Well, um, this is going to the iPad not being a, a device that can operate on its own. You can't program on the iPad. You need to buy a Mac in, uh, to be able to program on it. And then you also need to, to pay to, you know, Apple every year to be able to access your own device and, and to put code onto it. So that presents an interesting side of the desktop which is that the desktop computer is for engineers only and you know Apple are, are, want the, the iPad for consumers in the long run and the desktop will be the, the workstation for the people who need to get in inverted commas serious work done yeah that is a future that's actually quite that. possible yeah there is. A, I have to point out to our listeners that there is a serious delay here, so that's why we're stepping on each other. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't really have anything to add at this point. Hello? Is everybody still here or what? Yes. Yeah, we okay. just don't have anything else to add. <laughs> no, neither do I. <laughs> How long have we been talking? 45 minutes? Holy crap. Oh, wow, really? Can I say crap? Yeah, I can say crap. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, should we say anything about um, the H word or the H number? <laughs> we already have, unfortunately, at the start, but we haven't actually discussed the news of it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, we did. We did say something about um, um, <laughs> 264. That's true. <laughs> it kind of. I, I told Croc yesterday that um, it, I kind of noted that OS News is kind of turning into the central location for people against uh, uh, H.264 because if you go to a lot of other websites, even sites like Ars Technica and even the BBC, for God's sake, um, are kind of pointing to various OS News articles as the other side of the H.264 debate. Which is kind <laughs> of, that is weird. Really <laughs> the Slashdot article yeah. was particularly strange. What, 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 the the, the Slashdot article about Internet Explorer 9 going for H.264 only spun it as this is a good thing because IE9 is embracing HTML5. Didn't what? really even yeah. say anything about the fact that it was H.264 only and therefore that was a bad thing for Linux. You know, e- you know, even I would expect them to have, have brought up Linux in the sentence considering this was Slashdot, but they didn't. It was really weird. Yeah, I, I hate to. I I keep looking at that whole IE nine H two six four thing, and I keep thinking, you know, Microsoft is making this decision like a company because companies only trust other companies as far as their lawyers go. In this case, Microsoft is trusting the MPEG LA as far as their hordes of lawyers go. They the if from that kind of mindset, something that is a 
a quote unencumbered format like Og Vorbes, Og Fiora, sorry, is a uh, is is scary because you don't know you could get sued left and right from things. But if you pay the license, oh, you're good. It's a corporate mindset. And unfortunately, yeah, there's the, a lot less corporations than people out there, but unfortunately. Yeah but, yeah, but one of the core things, of course, here, and that kind of explains everything, you know, follow the money, because um, Microsoft is part of the MPEG LA, and it's part of the patent pool, the patent pool um, behind H.264. So the choice for Microsoft to go H.264 is obviously entirely self-serving, which is okay. I have no problem with that. They're a company. But... Um, they're using a lot of uh, um, um, fear, uncertainty, and doubt to justify their position. If they would have just come out and say, look, we're going with A264 because we think it's the best, and you know, uh, that would be okay. I mean, a company is a company, and they make a decision that is best for, for themselves and for the shareholders. That's okay. But um, I don't really like that they're trying to um, um, scare people away from the competing formats by saying, what, what exactly did they say? The kind of strange thing that they said. Oh, they said that um, the other codex, didn't they? Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, where is it? Um, other oh, codex it often come up in these discussions. The distinction between the availability of source code and ownership of the intellectual property in that available source code is critical. Today, intellectual, intellectual property rights for H.264 are broadly available through a well-defined program managed by MPEG-LA. Yeah. The rights to other codex are often less clear, <laughs> as has been described in the press. What yeah, codex? Was, what isn't clear? What is, press? That's probably one of the best um, pieces of thought that I've ever read. Because it's, you know, a, a lot of people reading this will think, oh, yeah, well, that's good. I mean, we have to use H.264 because Microsoft says the other codecs are uh, legally problematic. But, it, it, you know, I mean, we've been hearing this stuff for 10 years now. And there's never been anyone able to point out a single friggin' patent that they or I should, you know, uh, uh, supposedly infringes upon. So it's, 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 you know, I really dislike what um, what's going on here. And... I think Eugenia put it really well in that the MPEG LA has been incredibly successful in, in setting up this entire minefield across the entirety of um, of the digital video world where every camera, every piece of software has a, a non-commercial license to use um, um, AC64 and that uh, they've been they've been saying for so long that it that that is it is impossible to create a codec that doesn't infringe upon one of our patents that everybody believes them um, so it's it's just it's in, Technically, it's incredibly ingenious what they've done. I mean, you have to you have to admire it for them. You have to admire them for it. But it's it, it's kind of really really crippling. And it's probably this situation is probably a lot worse than the situation with Flash because at least with Flash, you know, you know, it's Adobe, and Adobe has never you know alluded to suing anyone over implementing Flash or using Flash or whatever. Um, and they've even even opened up a lot of stuff. Not uh, not everything. I'm not entirely sure how how far that goes with this whole open screen nonsense. But technically, compared to what the MPEG LA has been saying and how the MPEG LA have been acting, uh, Adobe has been kind of a saint compared to them. I mean, oh, Adobe, Adobe hasn't oh, been. At the end of the day, it has always been optional. Flash is just an optional yeah. install, and you can survive without it. Whereas this is. Dangerous because Microsoft are saying that you can only use H.264 if you're using HTML5, and Apple yeah. are saying the same thing. You can only use H.264 if you're using HTML5, and therefore you must pay the MPEG LA, which pays into our pockets. And we don't, and we think it's fine that we shouldn't have to pay for a license because we're a patent holder, but you lot should have to. Yeah, and and you know, and and, and, and I was going to say something. Yeah, and as Eugenia pointed out, it's been entrenched into everything. You know, every camera, almost every camera you buy 
uh, has these licenses built in, but they're the restrictive variants, so you can't really do anything uh, economic with them. So, and even software and all that stuff. And if you technically, if you're using um, an, an open source implementation um, uh, for, for, in this case, ASU64, and you live in America, you're technically breaking the law, right? I mean, it's, it's actually, it's incredibly ingenious what they've done, but it's kind of, it, it, it can make me pretty angry because, uh, not necessarily the, uh, what they're doing makes me angry because, again, they're companies and, they, you know, they're working to make money, which is good, which is good for everybody in the end somehow. But what scares me is that a lot of people fall for this stuff and keep defending the decisions from Microsoft and Apple to uh, stick with H.264. You know, even though you explain so clearly that it's dangerous, I mean, they just don't see it. And that kind of scares me. That really scares me that people don't see that. After all these years that we've been confronted with patent lawsuits that we all think are ridiculous, but somehow because Apple or Microsoft, oh, it's okay, no problem. I just don't get it. It's just such a short-sighted mindset. You know, uh, and, and and I know that ten years down the line, um, uh, when we are confronted with patent problems regarding H.264, when well, the MPLA finally started to, you know, what, five years down the yeah, line. Yeah, but yeah, five or ten years down the line, it's going to be problematic. And all those people who are advocating H.264 now, because yeah, it's better and it's it's ubiquitous and all that stuff, they're going to be the same people who will blame everyone but themselves for the spreading of, of, oh, of uh, it's The situation and, has become so bad. I think that the only way this is going to be solved is if it explodes in everybody's face. I would quite happily see the MPEG LA suit every single one of us. Um, for infringing yeah. on something yeah. or other, just to bring up the utter absurdity of it. Um, come 2015, they will be able to extract money from essentially every single person who has ever watched a video on the internet anywhere, period. Um, yeah. It's going to turn into the SCO or the whole SCO Linux debacle. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I just got a phone call. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really uh, um, um, crappy and uh, um, um, really... There's, if there's one thing that I that I hope that's going to happen in the coming weeks or months, please, Google, I know you're a company too, and you're just as evil as everybody else. I don't believe that. Don't be evil nonsense. And evil is here between quotation marks. I mean, the kind of evil that Google is referring to with its motto. Um, I know that you're kind of the same thing, but um, please do this whole VP8 thing that everybody's been talking about. Make it open source and switch YouTube over to VP8 in a couple of weeks <laughs> and just <laughs> give everybody else the Flash version. And remove the H.264 versions completely. So, you know, you're going to screw a lot of iPhone owners and iPad owners, but in the end, it's only it's less than a percent of your traffic as far uh, if, if uh, you know, it's less than a percent of your traffic on YouTube. So it wouldn't really matter. But really, um, um, it, it's a, lot of, a lot of this stuff is going to depend on what Google is going to do with, um, with Onto that it bought, obviously, and the VP8 codec. I'm, I'm so hoping that Google is going to... Um, Come in and save the day. Basically, it's 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 probably idle hope because again, Google is also a company and they're going to choose whatever's uh, making the most and, sense for and them. Could, and at this point, H.264 makes kind of sense for them, right? I mean, yeah, they, they could afford it, and they are already paying for a license yeah. to distribute Chrome uh, with H.264, yeah, uh, exactly. and they're using it mostly on uh, YouTube um, and for the uh, for the YouTube app on iPad and things. So this, I don't think Google are going to be very quick in, in, in this. We would all love it to be quick, but I think, to be honest, they have five years, and um, it's probably going to be by the year's end before we get anything um, really starting to move with this. Um, VP8 could be possibly the solution for this. 
but transitioning YouTube, I don't think is something that you can just you can just do that quickly. Um, it's the tools surrounding the code that is going to be uh, important to get correct. People need to be able to encode to it easily. Um, they've got yeah. to add plugins. They've got to add this to support to, to Chrome and Chrome Frame, and and they've got to uh, blanket everything horizontally with with VP8 so that the, the transition is 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 rather smooth. Because frankly, at the moment, it's the situation is not very smooth with Octiora. I think that's probably the situation as to why Google hasn't been forthwith with adopting it. Yeah, I mean, it's not, there's not, there aren't a lot of production tools in that sense that really take the aura into account. It's all, you know, H.264, that's basically the, the baseline, and, and, and anything else, you usually have to use plugins, and, you know, even the, uh, the plugins for QuickTime are out of date regarding the aura. They're pretty good on Windows, but they're completely out of date on the Mac, and, uh, you know, it's just... The, the tools aren't there in that sense for creating uh, a theory video, which is kind of sad. But it's it's you know, but, but at least when when Google, if Google were to announce um, um, VP8, the open source, uh, the open sourcing of, of VP8 in the, the I/O conference, everybody is saying they will, then it will probably be accompanied by uh, uh, direct show plugins and QuickTime plugins and you know uh, stuff for GStreamer and things like that. But, but uh, of course, that's just the beginning of it. I mean, just offering the plugin to play the stuff, you know, that's relatively easy compared to getting um, companies that actually make the software used to produce videos, you know, Final Cut and uh, and what other stuff do you have? I have no idea. I'm not really... Uh, uh, Vegas, Sony. Vegas. Yeah, Vegas, exactly. Those companies have to adopt it too, and that's going to be problematic. But on the other hand, it's it should technically be easier for VP8 to uh, become part of those packages because of Google's um, 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 involvement with su- uh, probable involvement with such a project. So, yeah. you know, that would be better than Theora. And Theora doesn't really have anyone big standing behind it, like use it, like the MPEG well, LA. Or Mozilla or and um, Wikipedia. But I don't think that holds much clout with um, <laughs> like companies Sorry. like Sony. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah exactly. Oh, crap. You can't avoid this. Um, HP buys Palm. Oh, that. Yeah, oh, yeah. that get buried. Uh, They're well, the one major company which really hasn't gotten into the mobile device game as much as all the others. A lot of other major manufacturers, like, for example, Dell, have gotten into the Android half of things. But, but HP has been relatively quiet about all of it. There was the Slate, but that was unfortunately canceled. And it was canceled... After the purchase of Palm, which makes you go, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably means hmm, maybe a WebOS tablet or maybe not. Maybe <laughs> a WebOS tablet would be actually pretty nifty. Um, I pulled some uh, some people on the internet about that a, a while ago, asking if they would love to see a, a WebOS tablet, and the response was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, WebOS certainly has a lot more. Uh, Let's see here, concreteness than Chrome OS does at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But again, it's still a tablet, and I still don't see a use for a tablet, even if it has Web OS. I just still. But never mind, we already talked about that. Well, uh, HP have been in. Uh, well, uh, bleh, we have to get act together. HP were in the mobile devices game early on during the PDA craze of the late 90s right, when right it came back. to competing with. They um, still are. And they kind of been burnt by Windows Mobile. But they still ship Windows mobile phones, by the way. They do? Like, uh, yeah, you know, with, uh, with, with BlackBerry form factor, so keyboard and display. 
I've seen so a couple the, of photos the of them. of Palm could really be them trying to, uh, well, doing what they should have been doing in a long time, which is having their own operating system um, for their own devices yep. rather than just being a Windows shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Hewlett Packard has the engineering of all the companies. It's got the talent, the engineering, and the prestige to be doing, to you know, to be a competitor to Apple in both hardware and software, and marrying the two. Then you know, HP is it, and it's been a huge disappointment. I mean, the the HP sl- the the slate is just like the the biggest disappointment I think I've ever seen, and and axing it is is fantastic. It <laughs> shows that they've got some sort of commitment yeah. to uh, uh, not being uh, Bulmer's lackey. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Bohm was pretty pissed off about that one. I mean, he stood there like showing the device off like earlier this year, and now he kind of looks like uh, <laughs> like an idiot. <laughs> well, he already looked like well, an idiot, but now he looks. Well, even wasn't different. wasn't the primary complaint about the slate not so much the hardware, which was HP's half of it, but really the operating yeah. system? Yeah, the software. Yeah, exactly. The, I mean, and what was it running? <laughs> yeah, Windows Seven. Exactly. That's what I mean. So. Uh, well, of course, no, it had a special layer on top of it, written by Hewlett Packard. But you know, I don't. Well, you want can only you can only dress those things up so often. I mean, once you get out of that little tiny protective area, you're going to immediately be thrust into a desktop expecting form factor with a keyboard and a mouse, and you're not going to have as good of an experience as something that's built from the ground up with that intention in mind. Like the Web West, so it really makes sense in that regard. It, it does. I, the hardware. I mean, I know Web is, is is going to be in fact. Wow! I had my. I saw my first Palm Pre a couple of days ago. Amazingly, here in the yeah. UK. Jealous. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> jealous. I actually spot one in the wild. They're so hard to find. Um, but uh, WebOS is uh, would be fantastic for H. Hewlett Packard to be able to put on on uh, a tablet. No, it wouldn't be as practical as say Windows Seven having the the full wealth of Windows software available, etc. But again, the user experience is what matters here, and especially if you're trying to compete on you know something as petty as, as um, comparison charts with the iPad, which you know. It's basically the benchmark we've got to go for now, as much as we dislike it. You know, battery life. You cannot have a Windows machine with a f- running flash going for two and a half to five hours. Um, when, you know, the iPad is ten hours. You've got to compete with ten hours. There's no comparison there. And Windows cannot provide that comparison. Nor can Intel hardware provide that comparison at this time. Yeah. So, in that sense, it would make, so it would make more sense to have an ARM device... Uh, Cortex A9 probably, and uh, um, and put up uh, put WebOS on that thing. That makes a lot more sense. And in the in the in the in the conference call or whatever it's called that followed the uh, news of the acquisition, it became very clear that that's exactly what uh, HP is going to do. I mean, I think they dropped the word tablet like 10 million times. Palm <laughs> <laughs> may have already had these things being you know designed and worked on, but had not the cash flow nor the risk to go ahead yeah, and, and do it. Exactly. And it always seemed the primary complaint with uh, WebOS devices hasn't been the operating system, it's been the hardware. The Palm Pre and the Pixie, they they aren't the best devices in the universe. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I'm sure that Palm would really, you know, Palm knows how to make really good hardware. I mean, just take a, you know, what what is it called? I have one of those in in my closet or somewhere, but I lost the charger here. These, uh, what are they called? These tungsten, the tungsten PDAs and everything. They're built like a brick. It's absolutely, you know, 
top-notch quality hardware, you know, you know, iPhone levels, you know, it's, it's really good stuff. So they know how to do it, but they just don't have the money. <laughs> and especially not in the past couple of years, they just don't have the money to, you know, produce such, you know, a device like that. But with uh, HP on the side, I mean, uh, with HP money, that's going to be a lot easier. And I'm sure they've had a lot of designs within Palm for really great phones, but they just couldn't afford them. They just couldn't afford to put them into production, and now they can. So, you know, the acquisition will be rung off somewhere at the middle of the year, I believe uh, July 31st, if I'm not mistaken. So you could probably see uh, the first devices early next year or something. Uh, I don't know how long that something like that would take. I have no uh, knowledge on that. I would, I would make a bet about, that we would see something by Christmas. No, probably, yeah, because of the holiday season, of course. Yeah, that would make sense, yeah. What about the the fact that HP now has uh, Palm's wealth of patents? And if that was part of the actual purchasing decision anyway, is Hewlett-Packard really that worried or involved with all of the crap that's going on between Apple and HTC at, the, at this moment? And Google, we should add. I'm not so sure, but um, at least uh, HP didn't say a whole lot about the, uh, the intellectual property. While if you looked at the acquisition between um, RIM and QNX, the, the whole patent thing, the whole intellectual property thing was, you know, like promptly displayed at the top of the press release, right? And here, not a word, not a single word about it. No, so, well, that makes sense for research in motion. I mean, what, what's their core market share? <laughs> yeah, okay. That's true. You're right. But uh, I'm not, it could be, but yeah, but Crocker's also right in that uh, HP doesn't really seem to be involved in that uh, whole lot. But then again, if HP were to start making phones, which is apparently their plan, like phones and tablets, then it doesn't hurt to have you know the, the portfolio from Palm, um, you know, in your back pocket, right? Oh yeah, and to keep so, quiet about it, I mean, the Palm stuff is is very early and uh, predates a lot of stuff, uh, as well yeah. as them being, you know, the, the, the mainstays in the PDA era, where a lot of these patents would have first started coming up. Yeah, and in the end, you know, smartphone PDA, the difference is only that it can do phone stuff. I mean, for the rest, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, the iPhone is for as revolutionary to, for as revolutionary as everybody thinks uh, or, or deems that it is. It's you know, it's for me. It's still it's it's a completely logical evolution from my tungsten E2 to to my phone. You know, it adds the phone capabilities and everything's a little bit smoother and and, and looks a little bit better. But in the end, it's it's a completely logical evolution for me. Um, so and I think most people would call the iPhone revolutionary. I've never actually used something like you know a Palm OS device or whatever. But anyway, so it, it you know it, it's not a smartphone isn't that different from a PDA. So all those patents that Palm has from the the PDA era probably still apply to smartphones today. So that's uh, probably a pretty good um, portfolio to have if you're entering into, a fo- into the phone market, which in the last couple of months has been you know, overrun with lawsuits between one and the other. So it's, uh, all of the uh, telephony uh, patents are actually all very well managed and, 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 and controlled um, and, and are out licensed as Nokia. well. Exactly, yeah, yeah, which is how Apple managed yeah. to enter the market so easily, is that all of that side of stuff is actually, you know, as bad as patents are, that side of things is, thankfully, you know, reasonably well managed. Yeah, but no, no, patents in general aren't bad. And I think a lot of the patents surrounding, um, like, GSM technology and stuff are actually hardware patents, right? And, you know, I don't have any problems with hardware patents. I mean, if you, I mean, the, 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 the investment that it took to create something like GSM and all the, you know, it's been deployed all around the world. I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for companies that 
you know, partook in that, um, um, in that development to, to earn money from the newcomers today. That's perfectly normal. But I, I, I just don't like software patents because they're generally, you know, you can't patent math, right? Let's, let's not get into that discussion right now. But I don't think anything wrong with hardware patents. And if any of the patents that, Paul, that, that uh, Apple is using to sue HTC are really strictly hardware patents, then I have no problems with those. And if those are, you know, honest hardware patents, then HTC just has to pay up. I mean, that's, that's pretty obvious. But from what we saw... Um, from that patent list, like ninety percent, ninety-nine percent of those were software patents. So, okay. <laughs> uh, no, that sounds great. Um, okay, Meta. Uh, if uh, I say uh, emails, you can email us at uh, crew at osnews.com. That's c r e w crew at osnews.com uh, with any thoughts, and as well as you can comment on the website osnews.com when we publish this uh, podcast. You can follow us on iTunes. Just uh, search for OS News. Uh, we actually got a, a, a um, review. Someone rated us. On... Wait, on iTunes? Yes. No. Well, is... like, I'm not going to view that because you know, I'm on Linux. So, yeah, too bad. so, so how bad <laughs> did we get? <laughs> yeah. Go find it now. How many stars did we get? I live for stars. Come on. It's all Negative matters. <laughs> uh, well, they rated us one, two, three, four. They rated us five. Uh, the editors of versenews.com discuss each week's news, uh, tech news and the articles posted on the website with a special interest in operating systems, and they do a great job of it. Unlike some other technology websites and podcasts, Tom and Crocker are unprejudiced <laughs> and don't focus on any individual system. They have their preferences. Tom frequently takes the opportunity to praise BIOS. But just a quick to point out the drawbacks and mistakes of these systems. Of the ten or so podcasts I subscribe to, this is one I look forward to most each week. Uh, that was September 2009, though, so a while ago. But thank you anyway for that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Whoever it was. <laughs> Pretty but cool. That's all to say. Okay, good. Yep. I think we should... And we'll see yeah. you next time. Well, then... Yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye.